1: Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Who's on? Is
2: that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those, those, those boys.
3: And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can
2: understand
3: that, can't
2: you? Yes. Good lad. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever.
1: There was a lovely image in the build up to Ireland's first Euro 2012 game against Croatia. I don't know if you remember this one. The two managers bumped into each other. I presume it was at the pre match press conference, certainly looked that way. And you might expect at that stage a little bit of tension in the air the day before a big game like that, or at least a little bit of standoffishness. But instead, the two of them embrace each other, Trap cupping Slavin Bilic's face in his hands. Bilic has his arm draped around Trapetoni's waist. A beautiful and indeed very tender moment. And in a way, the last great high point of Trapetoni's reign. Because I remember seeing that, Ken, and thinking, we're at the Euros. We're managed by a guy who is adored mm-hmm. by other big European football people. We're going to crush Croatia. Remember that. We were always <laughs> going to beat Croatia.
4: Yep. That was the three points in the back. Then move
1: on and draw with Spain and then battle it out for top spot in the group with Italy in the final game. Didn't quite work out like that. And it's been pretty much downhill from there to here where Trapattoni loses his job.
2: Yeah. Uh, I mean, everybody loved Trapattoni uh, outside of Ireland. They didn't have to have the team managed by him. Um, but I think everybody who ever met Trapattoni probably, came away thinking yeah we met him over
1: there and you would have met him at a lot of press conferences anyway but we had him in the apartment over there and he was so effervescent I think is probably the word charismatic charismatic effervescent dis- yeah. just an energy you're one of these people who brings a certain energy to the room there's definitely the, all those cliche things there's an aura about him
2: I remember Liam Brady when it was announced to drop down he was going to become the manager Liam Brady saying or someone asked him how, how to describe him he said he's uh, Italian Bill Shankly but I would say almost like an Italian Bill Clinton. Um, that's the kind of person Trapatoni was. I mean, I remember that day when he came over to the apartment in Sopo. So I was waiting outside at the corner because they were co- going to come across from their hotel. So it's just, just so they could find the actual place. And uh, so I saw then Trapatoni uh, coming across the road with uh, Manuela and Marco Tardelli and Fausto Rossi. <laughs> And uh, and of course, everyone, as he passes by, everyone is sort of stopping and looking around and loads of people were kind of interrupting him, you know, as he as he made his way. And Trapatoni stopped and talked to everybody. And, you know, little kids would come and sort of look at him and uh, Trapatoni would get down and talk to the kids, you know, and they'd sort of ruffle his hair and all this kind of stuff. And he was, you know, completely, I mean, I suppose it, his life has basically been like that for about the last 50 years. So he's quite used to it. But, you know, I, I just thought, yeah, the guy is a complete star and you can see kind of you can see why in just his demeanour he's just got a very good way with people I mean not all of our footballers liked him by the end did you see Darren Gibson yesterday his little tweet
1: no I saw Stephen Reid's tweet alright who said look you know he did a good job for a period but communication wasn't good what did Darren Gibson say Darren
2: Gibson tweets on a more positive note good day all round today knee feels good training went well and dot 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 <laughs> so uh you're assuming that the dot 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 relates to uh, the big Irish football news of the day. Hearty dinner he had just had. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might be what Darren Gibson was talking about there. So I guess maybe Darren Gibson's going to be back, uh, back available for Ireland now, and maybe there's uh maybe there's quite a few Irish footballers who feel who feel good about the fact that Traptony's gone. And I'm sure lots and lots of fans probably think yeah it was time for him to go. And uh, to be honest, I probably agree. But I do uh, also think that. uh he was a lovely, is, a lovely man. We
1: should be able to get somebody in the fairly top rank of managers. I'm not talking about a Jose Mourinho, can, but we should get, be able to get a pretty good manager now. Apparently, the Dennis O'Brien money is still there, mm. according to the quotes today. We heard John Delaney yesterday. We'll talk a bit more about his interview with Pat Kenny on News talk, maybe in the football show, a couple of points I wanted to raise from that. But one thing he said that I would, definitely wouldn't disagree with is that the, this should be an attractive job. Trapitone's the fact that Trapitone was the manager has maybe opened people's eyes to it to a certain extent at least got people talking about us albeit not in the most positive way at the European Championships the fact that financially it should be a fairly, uh, a fairly good pay packet for somebody and that there are decent young players and also the European Championships is a lot easier to qualify for than it was last time around all of those elements should lead to us appointing somebody pretty good
2: yeah I mean uh, is, the, is the money really that important it
1: depends on the person's motivations. Yeah, the I
2: motivations, exactly. So to be honest, I think there's the job that you do for love rather than for money. I mean Troppozoni's getting paid enough and it was only in the last little while that he started regularly going to matches after he came under immense pressure to do so. You know. Um it's 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 a question of I think that the right person for this job would do the job without all that extra money. Really? I think so.
1: Is this not a, a we're Talking about professional sports people yeah. who <laughs> any job, probably any job anywhere, but in, in top-level professional sports, I would have thought that the more money available to pay somebody, the higher the caliber... The more money available
2: to pay somebody, the more they'll end up getting paid. Yeah. It doesn't mean they're going to be any more effective, any better, going to do more work. It doesn't really follow, in my opinion. Um, you know, the kind of people who'd be interested in this job... What, you know, what kind of people would be interested in? I mean, you, you'd have, um, if, if you've only got, if you don't have a huge budget, then you've only got really people who are interested in the job. Uh, and if you've got a lot of money, then you've also got people who are looking to make a bit of money. I don't know if you necessarily got, uh, you know, for instance, say you were able to pay $5 million a year. Mm. Would you get Guardiola? Would you get Mourinho? Would you get a really top guy? Say you were able to pay 15 million a year. Well,
1: then you might actually get one of those top guys. Pep Guardiola, if he hadn't already agreed to go to Bayern Munich, might do the Ireland job. Do
2: you think he would? He's a guy who gets
1: really stressed out by football. Here's a nice handy part-time gig for him.
2: See, my my point is that I don't think... I don't think that's a really top manager. I, you know, somebody like Guardiola is probably the, the top guy at the moment. You know, somebody who's who's in the absolute prime of his career, who's regarded, uh, you know, as sort of top manager all around the world, and who could have his pick of teams is going to be interested in managing Ireland, no matter how much money is on the table. It's just not that interesting a job for a really top manager. So, what you would have either is younger managers who are looking to establish themselves. I mean, say Mark Hughes was with Wales a while ago, Steve Staunton, I suppose, when he took the Ireland job, Mick McCarthy, when he took the Ireland job, guys like that, or, you know, um, older managers, who are looking to, uh, essentially, to have a less pressurized job, than than a club job, like Jack Charlton, when he took the Ireland job, or Giovanni Trapattoni, you're not going to get the guys, in that middle range, and that's why I'm not convinced, that All the right. money, I think the money, makes it more attractive, to older guys, Trapattoni type guys, um, guys who are used to, just hitting. What about, to, those, it, other hitting, what know, about so those other elements,
1: like, the fact that we have, a decent. We have some decent young players. We're not overburdened with incredible talent, but there are, there are players there who should be good enough to qualify for the European Championship, given that there are going to be two automatic qualifying places and a third place will get you into a playoff at least. It's, this is on the assumption that the groups are going to work out, that the structure will be as we think it will be. And we'll talk more to Emmett Malone about this shortly. But should, would that be another element in a manager's thinking that, OK, I don't even have to win many games with these guys to get them to a european champion
2: sort of in the top half, top of half of
1: the table, i've got a chance
2: um yeah you know it's 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 definitely made it easier i don't know if it's necessarily gonna do the quality of the tournament too many favors no, I'm actually, who know, cares I, yeah. you know once you're in the tournament <laughs> nobody's really that bothered <laughs> dragging about the quality, the quality down. let's all go and watch a, a bunch of sort of overhyped games as our quite mediocre team which probably shouldn't be in a tournament mm. uh plays against some other teams that shouldn't be there either um Nobody cares about that once you're there. It's just everybody's happy to be there. Um, you know, it, it maybe maybe it does. Make, I mean, obviously, to get to a tournament is the is the whole aim for any international manager. So if the chances of that are increased, then maybe it does become marginally more. On oh a second, can you okay, Murph? Yeah, no, you've been extremely quiet. You're no, not. I'm just you're listening not bored by in us. rapt
4: attention to, okay. to Ken. You know, I mean, if he's if he's on a
1: roll, on you don't interrupt. Him. We're going to be talking to us Murph today, being a Thursday, and asking him, Kieran, is the tough guy enforcer an antiquated character in the NFL. American hmm. footballers would always have had a lot of tough guys, but generally you have one guy who just goes around, maybe protecting the quarterback. He could be on defense, who knows. But by right way, he goes, he busts people up pretty bad and he, he, he kind of has kudos for that. It seems like the guys who do that now, who are overly rough, get hit with a lot of fines and their teammates are looking at them saying, mate, it's gone past that now. We have to be professional about this.
4: Yeah, I, I think we've spoken quite a bit in the, over the last few years about the NFL's America's game the really good TV show that they have um, that they make about every team that's won the Super Bowl since 1967. Yeah. And if you look back at some of the earlier ones of these, there's, there's always one guy that kind of comes on. It's like, this guy was the toughest guy in the league <laughs> that year. you know, yeah. And he did perform quite unspeakable acts of cruelty <laughs> uh, against anyone who would come within sort of a 50-yard radius of him. And, you know, that's kind of funny uh and also you know kind of reassuringly in the past uh, and now in the NFL basically you're you're getting fined out of the league or you're getting penalized out of the league so uh it kind of it it's i suppose it's similar to like the GA as well they would say that the that that it was a man's game back in the 1960s and 1970s and not anymore uh which is obviously wrong but at the same time it's just it's been tidied up it's not quite the wild west type scenario that, uh, that they had back then.
1: We'll chat to Brian about that in a bit. And we're going to talk about Mayo's quest for the All-Ireland. Yeah. A little bit later on. There's been a documentary made about this. It's going to be on TG Car this Sunday night, so we'll get into more detail about that one later on. I do want to thank everybody for all the support and all the nice messages around our opening TV show, Second Captain's Live which was on Tuesday, uh, Tuesday night. Thank you uh, very much, folks. We, 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 yeah, we massively enjoyed the night, particularly, Murph, there's been a huge reaction to the star turn by mm. Simon Hick modelling the t-shirts. Yeah, Unbelievable. The
4: Unbelievable. The key word in Simon's career, of course, is dignity. Yeah. Uh, I thought you were going to say credibility. Cor- credibility. No, yeah, or, or, well, one or the other. But, I mean, that's the cornerstone of his entire journalistic career to date. And I think we all saw that on Tuesday night. Yeah, Richie
1: Sadler tweeted, Ken, that his highlight was the off-camera reaction of Ronan O'Gara to Simon stripping <laughs> off to model the T-shirts. Which was what? Bemusement, Ken. Bemusement <laughs> by, <laughs> on the face of Ronan O'Gara. Simon sent his car- his own career tumbling into the gutter. Into
2: free fall, yeah. you got to yeah. speculate to accumulate, you know, with the career.
1: Our second show is coming up next Wednesday. I'll give you some details at the end of today's programme on that one. I mean, our second TV show there. Now we are joined by Emmet Malone, Irish Times football correspondent. Emmet, uh, the... I guess the important question, first of all, is how quickly do we need a new manager in place, at least an interim manager? I know the next two games on the face of it don't really matter, but actually they do for a European uh, for the chances of qualifying for the European Championships and getting a decent seating. Can you just explain that seating situation for
0: us? The seedings are going to be based on uh, the European rankings rather than the world rankings. They're a little bit less volatile um, than uh, the FIFA rankings. They're based on on a number of previous tournaments. Um, a, a lot of this hasn't been decided, um, although it is decided that it will be based on that. Um, the final uh, seedings will be done uh, early in the new year when the, when the tournament is when the, when the qualifying for this tournament is out of the way. Um, they, they will be taken into account. As things stand on the on the rankings, the way they were previously done, which would be over three tournaments, Ireland is nineteenth. Now, um, what we're probably looking at in the next qualifying uh, competition, because uh, UEFA wanted to change the way the system was done, but there was a lot of resistance to that from the national um, federations. So, what we're probably looking at is the most likely scenario, the easiest one, would be nine groups of six teams. Uh, with a top two in each qualifying, and then, you know, another five teams to be come up with. You know, if you, if you, if you work with the way they've done it in the past, the most obvious thing would be a, a best runner-up qualifying automatically and then four winners of playoffs. So in that scenario, if all that happens, which is, you know, uh, not a, a wild assumption, but uh, it's not done at the moment, then at the moment our 19th place with France qualifying automatically as hosts leaves us slap bang on the last second ranked team and uh, second seeded team uh, but we have two or three teams who are very close behind us in terms of uh, in terms of ranking points the the remaining games could change the situation and if we drop even one place then we go from being seeded as things stand as it is again you know uh, from being seeded to qualify automatically, to being seeded to, to end up in the playoffs. So, and that's that's obviously a, a very big factor
1: for us. Yeah, so it is important to get somebody capable in there pretty quickly, so they can get their You know, just get some sort of stamp on it over the next couple of matches. Just looking further ahead, though, Emmett, uh, the, a lot of the usual names are being trotted out here in terms of a successor. But Roy Keane is clearly an interesting option, and Brian Kerr in his piece today says that he calls him an intriguing option. And while there are reservations that Kerr has about how some supporters would react. He says, equally, this is an interesting phrase. I think management, international management, would suit Roy more than the club game. The intermittent dealings with players might be a snugger fit. They're suggesting there that maybe the Roy Keane might be the easiest to work with on a day to day level uh, for players at a club, but that the international guys should be, should really be uh, uh, buying into what Keane would have to offer. Would you think that could be a- a real option here, Roy Keane? Well,
0: I, I, look, I think in that sort of sense uh, it possibly is, although I, I'm not entirely sure it's the greatest recommendation um, for, a, for a guy for a, for a manager's job of any description, that if you're saying that he'd be more suited to this because he'd have to deal with players less. Um, it's it's not an ideal scenario, but really the bigger barrier to Roy Keane is anything to do with his, his, his personality, the way um, he seems to uh, have trouble interacting with lesser players, or the fact that the two stints in management he's done in, in in England really haven't gone all that well. Um, it's the fact that, you know, post Saipan, a long, 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 long time post Saipan, he still doesn't appear to have in any way buried the hatchet with um, John Delaney. Uh, the pair of them, you know, have, have been disparaging about each other in public and it seems, you know, in private, and, um, and nobody's going to get this uh, job without John Delaney approving they of them. They could get over that eventually, happen. couldn't
1: they? He got, he, he got on with Niall Quinn when he had to get on with Niall Quinn for a period.
0: Well, I think Niall Quinn made a big leap there uh, so to make that happen. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe Roy Keane can. I don't know. Maybe he wants the job enough, but certainly there's been no sign of it so far. I mean, it's it's not so long ago I heard him do a, a radio interview. Uh, I mean, it's a year or two, but we're, we are talking about something that happened in, in 2002 uh, where he was absolutely um, disparaging about Delaney. Um, and uh, it, there seems to be something very raw there. Uh, Delaney, on the other hand, you know, doesn't seem to like Roy at all, and so I look. I mean, I I just can't see that happening on this occasion on, on that basis. I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe the two of them will will you know mature dramatically over the coming weeks and months, and 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 and, and uh, they'll see it as something that works. But I don't think actually Keen's the case for Keen is strong enough. For Delaney to to really you know make the effort required to want that happen. I mean, if you go back to what happened um, at Sunderland, uh, Roy Keane signing for Sunderland as manager at the time looked like a really big coup. You know, he was somebody who okay, he had no experience, but you know had the potential to be a really great manager. And Niall Quinn made a leap of faith, uh, and and you know people people bought into that at the time, thought this could be really really good. Um, Since then, his stock as a manager has has sunk quite a bit. You know, I mean Ipswich in particular was a really poor spell from Sunderland wasn't exactly a triumph. uh, Aside from the first season when he did very very well in the championship, but um, you know throw in all the baggage that in terms it, that comes in terms of his dealing with players and the FAI and everything like that, um, and 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 it's not really something that uh, the FAI are going to be looking at saying, well, hey, we really want to make this happen. Um, during his time as a player, he was a lot of trouble for them, you know. I'm not entirely sure they want somebody who's, uh, who's, who's who could be so demanding in terms of what he looks for from them. But also, I mean, which, even with Trapattoni, a guy who was based in Italy, um, and is open to a lot of criticism over his lack of interaction with the underage game, the League of Ireland game here or whatever. Um, he did play ball with the FAI uh, to a certain extent in terms of their fundraising and the work they did with clubs and, you know, just prior appearances all that. I don't think there'd be any huge faith on the FAI side that, uh, that, that Roy Keane would be so accommodating.
2: Yeah, um, I guess Trappatoni had a lot of experience working with these uh, president, presidential figures in Italian sure. football and knew how they had to be handled. But you, you were talking about Roy Keane's time at Sunderland there and, and it did obviously end... Um, you know, it wasn't a great ending there. Uh, although it wasn't that bad, come to think of it, I mean, they were they were sort of lower mid table. I think when he left, uh, yeah. they had had that great season in the championship. Uh, really, he left them in the same kind of state that Martin O'Neill left them. Um. You know, he's got a lot more managerial experience, certainly than Roy Keane, and even managed to win trophies with Leicester. But his time at Sunderland was not impressive, and he's the hot favourite. No,
0: no, no, absolutely. I'm not. I'm not making a a, you know a hard and fast case for Martin O'Neill. He has some experience. He, He has plenty of experience. He did win some trophies. He's done more in management, you would you would argue, I think, um, than Roy Keane did. But his his spell at Aston Villa uh, didn't end terribly well, and he could I think you know uh, people some people there would argue that he contributed to the problems that endured at the club for several seasons afterwards. And Paul Lambert is probably only really sorting out now. Um, and his spell at, at Sunderland certainly didn't spe- uh, end well um, by the standards of the clubs he was at. He he looked to spend fairly significant amounts. Of money um, and at Villa, I mean, ultimately, I think, fell out with the club over the fact that he wanted to spend very significant amounts of money and wasn't allowed to in order to, to continue them progressing. But he did, he did probably, you know, certainly in, in, at Leicester and at Villa, um, he did achieve a certain amount and uh, did, did you, know, uh, a, a, you know, attain finishes with the clubs that they haven't really matched since. So, you know, there's an argument to be made for him. I think, you know, it's clear that. The reason he is most likely interested in this job uh, at this stage is that uh, he's no longer considered hugely sought after in England. I mean, at one stage, he was being talked of as a successor to Alex Ferguson. Well, there wasn't very much talk of it in the end when Ferguson actually went.
1: Yeah, but just one more on Roy Keane, though. I know I'm banging this drum pretty loudly. <laughs> I just want to put one thing to you. If if I'm Seamus Coleman, for example, to take okay. a guy who's 24 That's years right. of age... Right. Um, well, I kind of wish I was Seamus Coleman because... Yeah, the, okay, we all <laughs> Yeah. We all I'm watching Roy Keane. I'm 11 years of age watching Roy Keane lead Manchester United to the Champions League final. The best player, one of the best players in Europe in world football at the time. I don't know if Coleman's a Manchester United fan or not, so I don't know if Keane is his hero. But you're growing up with this iconic figure in Irish football. And there's a chance here, and Shane Long and the other guys of this generation uh, would all be in this boat. There's a chance here of this guy actually managing you and telling you what to do in an Ireland jersey, just in terms of... The patriotism that would be attached to that and maybe the awe in which Keane should be held by these guys would that not be enough on a again, as Brian Kerr on an intermittent basis to actually motivate them and organise them which is all you really need to do
0: do they need to be do they need that that to be motivated I I, I sincerely hope not I mean they're they're playing for their country they're they're achieving you know what they were supposed to be in awe of which was you know these guys going out and playing in a green jersey for their country I hope that it doesn't take Roy Keane to motivate them but the difficulty is after all of that that if you talk to a lot of the players that that um, or some of the players that he had in Sunderland and Ipswich they weren't motivated by him they were intimidated by him and you know like uh, Glenn Hoddle has a reputation for this as well for making players Feeling inferior by asking them to do things that they that they're not capable of doing, and then kind of rubbing their noses in it. That's the way that some of those players come away from that. And okay, Seamus Coleman is one of our more talented players, but the the the, the, situ- the problem here is for for, our, for our Roy Keane or whoever takes over as Trapatoni constantly made clear is that a lot of our players are decidedly average. And if you can't relate to that, if you can't coax the best out of those players, um, then very 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 soon the uh, the aura of uh, you being Roy Keane. Um, um, where
2: is where it's pretty thin one other thing I about mean, it is that um when when the news came through that Trapattoni had been uh, let go um you kind of thought okay there's only a couple of games left that he that he would have had to be playing anyway yeah. Um, the only reason really to do this is that they're pretty confident someone can be in place by the time the next yeah. match comes around. So I,
0: I, think, I think that's the case, Ken. I think, you know, I mean, it was it's very difficult. I mean, they're, 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 their atti- their attitude and their approach to uh, press relations in these situations is just to tell nobody anything. Uh, so, uh, last night, I mean, I couldn't get, even get an indication of what would happen if they didn't have somebody in place. Would uh, Alan Kelly take charge of the team for those two games? Would they bring in somebody on an interim basis? Nothing, like So I I presume they have a plan um, in place if, if for that eventuality, but actually, I, I, I strongly suspect that in contrast to the previous occasions uh, that they have been in this situation and the whole thing went on, I think for over three months last time before Trapattoni uh, was was confirmed in the job, and probably two and a half months before he even became linked with the job. I think this time they are actually confident that they're that they're going to get somebody in place. And if that's the case, if they're looking at a fast um, appointment, then I think being the front runner here is going to count for a hell of a lot more than it did last time. O'Neill is kind of generally popular, uh, as opposed to Keane who's quite divisive. You know, uh, although you'd have obviously his his very strong supporters owned there amongst them. But um, uh, but uh, you know, I think that I think being a kind of a generally popular choice here, like O'Neill, is is going to potentially going to count for a lot. And uh, uh, I think you know the the smart money would would possibly be on O'Neill being appointed and being appointed pretty quickly, uh, well comfortably in time for uh, the game uh, next month. He. Certainly unlikely to be you know outside their financial range he's available he's interested um, uh, whether whether he's going to be a great choice really remains to be seen I mean you know you had Brian Kerr saying today that the next manager needs to integrate himself more, far more fully into the whole uh, you know system here and the development of young players whatever. I mean it'll be interesting to see the extent to which O'Neill is willing to do that um, uh, certainly I'm sure he'll do it to a greater extent than Trapattoni did but um, he's, he's based in England and um, you know he'll see a lot of the work being uh, over there in terms of looking at, at senior players and potential senior players uh, whether he really uh, comes to have a, a serious role in developing the next generation here is another thing but I, that, that would be where I think, I think they think they will appoint somebody and if that's the case then I think O'Neill is probably a, 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 a strong favourite at this stage
1: Alright Emmett Well. We're- we we'll edit out all your Roy Keane answers, but other than that, thanks very much for chatting to us.
0: <laughs> Take care, thanks.
1: Seems like Martin O'Neill, Ken, is a, a more than credible candidate, according to Emmett there. Yeah. He, seems to be quite a likelihood. See, I'm always wary of these, just you're, you're burnt by Bredding past experiences. Betting has been suspended. Yeah, you yeah, hear betting has been suspended on a certain, or somebody's an odds-on favourite and it can end up that they're are 6 or 7 of these or more yeah. over the course of a very long protracted period but certainly the early indications yeah. seem to be that Martin O'Neill is the man that is they're going to go for and while maybe I don't know a lot of fans mightn't be as blown away by that as we would have been 5 years ago say yeah I think O'Neill's stars fallen a little bit he would still be a guy who's not going to cause too much concern most people will be happy with Martin O'Neill
4: well reassuringly from a tactics point of view uh I, I, well, I mean, I, I think a lot of people were kind of or were shouting for trap to change things to you know this four four two. Why the hell are we still wedded to four four two? I mm. mean, we're not going to get a whole lot of difference from Martin O'Neill in that respect, are we, Ken?
2: No, probably not. Uh, although he did use different systems at uh, Celtic, but you know, it was a sort of. I think the the thing about Martin O'Neill, I think the the big strong point for him, I think, is that he understands the job. He understands the culture, he understands the language, speaks it quite well. (laughs) And, uh, you know, that's maybe something which people are crying out for a little bit. I mean, there is always that tendency to to want to kind of have a very different guy from the last guy because the faults of the last guy have become exaggerated and kind of everyone thinks that they're the only faults. And O'Neill definitely is a better cultural fit for that job than Trapattoni. I don't think anyone's in any doubt about that. Um, Football-wise, Sunderland under O'Neill played some of the most Giovanni Trapattoni-like football seen in English football since, you know, <laughs> since that kind of football was the was the mainstream. Yeah. Um, you know, which is not to say that he wouldn't be able to... Uh, devise a different system of play. Maybe he just felt that was that was all he could do with the squad at Sunderland. I'm not sure that the I mean the the thing about the what what Ireland have been doing though under Drop Tony is I don't really think it's been that good a fit for the squad that we have. You know, we've got a if we've got like this team of smallish yep. players, you know, when Jack Sheldon was playing the long ball football, we had Tony Cascarino and Niall Quinn. I mean huge huge men who goes, were very good at that. Who were gonna get to get to the ball. Yeah. You know now Shane Long uh, is kind of uh Maybe taller than he appears in terms of his impact in aerial challenges. He's a, he's got a good leap, you know. He's he's able to compete well, but it's you know he's not Niall Quinn. No. Johnny Walters would probably be the best in if that's what you were looking for. Yeah. I think I mean, what, John Walters has been playing on the wing for us. He's, yeah. he's not a winger at all. John Walters is a, is a, is a half striker. You know that's his position. Maybe we we'll, we'll see Walters and Long together. So you're not
1: blown away by O'Neill then? Is that what you're saying?
2: I think O'Neill w- will actually will be an improvement on Trapattoni. Yeah, I do. Um, I don't think it I don't think it would be revolutionary uh, move. And I mean we haven't yet heard from, from Martin O'Neill. He has been keeping a low profile over the last uh, over the last while, whether he's necessarily even interested in the job, but you know, I wouldn't really be surprised if he was. More of
1: this coming up at six o'clock tonight.
3: That's
5: yeah.
3: <laughs> they have asked for that really. Well yeah, you can laugh. I'm, the cool. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me.
0: You well, don't know what you're talking about.
2: What you know, a oh, I'd like to stay alive I'd say it to you, face, and I'll say it to well, now. What you now. you doing down here, you showing man. Second captain's football kit. A lot more Trappetoni talk. <laughs> Owen. Oh, in fact, some of the themes that we've just been discussing there, um, you know, where things went wrong for Trapattoni. Also, what kind of a guy Trapattoni was, because, you know, maybe sometimes, the fact most people probably didn't get to meet him while he was here, even though he did a lot of Meet and greets. Uh, he was in a lot of photo calls. Um, he he probably met almost every single Irish model at some point. That was that seemed to be a big part of his his job. He was required to uh, stand and pose for a lot of that type of picture. We we've we've all seen the pictures. But you know uh, maybe if you only seen him on television being interviewed, uh, you know after matches or talking nonsense in press conferences, maybe sometimes the kind of personality of the man didn't really come across and i think it's it's something that people should remember he actually is a great man um we'll talk a bit about that and also what kind of a guy we should be looking for to to take over the team to take them on from from here
1: sounds good time now for us
0: yes we have to say it remember this is just a football game
5: no matter who wins or loses i am deeply sorry my irresponsible and selfish behavior.
2: We're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there.
5: Strike three called, and the Jays have won the World Series.
1: Get straight into it. Brian Murphy, how are you this week?
5: You know, guys, I am great. I'm awesome. And I don't think I've ever properly paid heed to that fantastic open you guys built for me on the new podcast. I love it. I was listening <laughs> to the podcast as a listener. I'm not just a contributor, guys. I'm a customer uh, on the uh, Second Cabin's podcast. And I forgot that, that is just awesome. So whoever, uh, if it was Kieran, Owen, Simon, whoever did it. Uh, the great production value gives me you give me the goosebumps, guys. We'll pay the kudos, goosebumps. yeah.
1: With we'll us to Mark Horgan on that one, I think uh, Brian. Hey,
5: good job, Mark. Good job.
1: Tell us about Colin Kaepernick. Last week, we were looking at trends that might emerge this season in the NFL, and you were saying that guys like Kaepernick, who have the ability to both run the ball and pass the ball from quarterback, uh, might be a little more tightly marked this year, Brian. They might have to, there, there might be some defensive plays designed to stop their read plays where they can just pretty much make it up on the hoof now that may be the case or it may not be but kaepernick found a way to throw for over 400 yards and win the game against the green bay packers on sunday
5: yeah what an entertaining start to the nfl season here in san francisco not so entertaining if you're a packers fan and there's a lot of them by the way they they find their way everywhere they go including candlestick park disturbingly there was a fair number of uh, cheeseheads in the crowd my hat is off to them. My cheese head is off to them because they're very good supporters, but they're upset again. That's the third time in the last 12 months the 49ers have beaten the Packers twice with Colin Kaepernick at the helm the last in fact the last two games the Packers have played were losses to the 49ers. They ended their season in January in the playoffs, and then they opened their 2013 season with a loss. So, right now, Colin Kaepernick's uh, got the better of them, and you're right. They did it in two different ways. In January, he set the rushing record for a quarterback by running for 180 yards, and the Packers were absolutely hell bent on that not happening again. They have a great defensive coordinator named Dom Capers, and he spent six months studying to stop it, and it's like he studied for the wrong test. <laughs> You know, it's like imagine you're studying for your biology exam, and all of a sudden they throw you a chemistry exam because he did not. Uh, well, he probably thought on some level that Colin Kaepernick could beat him with, in the air, but he probably didn't think Colin Kaepernick would be as incredible as he was through the air. So it's a whole new dimension now for this particular kid, Colin Kaepernick. I mean, we can talk about the other guys too: Robert Griffin and Russell Wilson and Andrew Luck and Cam Newton. That whole new generation of quarterbacks, but Kaepernick is, is beginning to move ahead of the pack because of his insane athleticism, and we discussed the running, but yesterday or Sunday was the passing. And uh, 400, guys, 400-plus yards, um, uh, and three touchdowns and no picks. The final uh, note here, guys, only Joe Montana in 49ers history has thrown for 400 yards, three touchdowns, and no interceptions in a game. So that puts it in perspective.
4: Yeah, Brian, and I mean, the whole idea of American football, when you have the ball, there are two ways of attacking. You either throw the ball or you run the ball, and you have you, know, different, you have different players to run those offences. But to play two games, as Kaepernick has done against the Green Bay Packers, and to beat them in two completely different ways.
1: Also, Murph, this guy's only started mid-season last year, wasn't it? Yeah. He's, yeah he's, this is his 11th NFL start. It's, starters, th- think, it's it? insane what this man is doing. I know you're excited by him.
5: You know you are, and he really is. He's first. That's a credit to Jim Harbaugh for drafting him. Now, now he was not the. You know, you know. Every year we talk about the college draft in the April, and and there's all these huge deal made about the number one pick. That's the guy who always gets all the attention, and then the top ten, and then the first round. Those kind of the guys who get all the attention, all the buzz. Kaepernick didn't even go in the first round of the draft. This is one of those cases where uh, Jim Harbaugh and the 49ers general manager Trent Baalke uh, deserve all the credit in the world for knowing what this guy had as a talent and drafting him out of a college. And while it is a Division One college that plays you know, major college football, it's not a well-known college at all. It's the University of Nevada at Reno. Um, you know, now we know it here in the West because I, you know, Reno's a four-hour drive from San Francisco. But you go around the country, and we've talked a little bit about college football in the South, Alabama and LSU and Georgia. They don't give Reno a second thought, you know. So he sort of, um, he sort of went under the radar. But Jim Harbaugh sure didn't see him as under the radar. He saw his height, six foot five. He saw his arm strength. He saw his sprinter 's ability, you know guys, he was also drafted as a baseball pitcher by the Chicago Cubs coming out of high school he 's that strong of an arm, so right now he is all the rage. He is the guy, and you know I mean the history of the game tells you that you know he 's not going to be dominant every day every sunday he 's going to have some bad days heck he couldn 't punch the ball in from the five yard line in the Super Bowl, but right now, when it comes to Russell Wilson. Andrew Luck, RG3, Kaepernick, and Cam. Kaepernick has kind of moved ahead in that horse race as the guy. His jersey is the best-selling jersey in the NFL. And guess where he goes this Sunday night? To Seattle, Sunday night game. I think it'll be a 1.30 a.m. Monday morning kickoff for you guys. Nice and convenient for you guys. <laughs> yeah. But that's a highly anticipated match. Boys, the Seattle Seahawks fans are the loudest in the NFL, and they have already announced their intentions to break sound records uh, in that game. They're already like pumping it up. To, I don't know, there's some sort of Guinness Book of World Records sound decibel thing, and they're planning on, on, on breaking that. So it's going to be a super crazed environment as the two young star quarterbacks go head-to-head.
1: You mentioned your man, Jim Harbaugh, the coach of the San Francisco 49ers. Brian, he wasn't too happy with Clay Matthews, the very talented sort of hard man of the Green Bay Packers team.
5: What a story. Um, So Clay Matthews, you know, stars drive everything, right? And Colin Kaepernick is the 49ers star, and Clay Matthews and Aaron Rodgers are the Green Bay Packers star. Of course, Rodgers gets more fame as the quarterback and the MVP of the league a couple years ago, and he does the uh, commercials for uh, State Farm, the discount double-check, that whole thing. But Clay Matthews is the other big star for Green Bay, and part of it is his hair, guys. Something as simple as the aesthetic. He's grown his hair long. Like Samson, it's uh, down his waist, all the way almost down to his waist. But he's also an extremely talented player. He's a, he, he, for a big guy, he moves really well. And he decided to sort of take on Kaepernick in the media the week before the game. Now it wasn't. Muhammad Ali inflammatory stuff but all he said was yeah we're going to be looking to hit him like he's a runner and even if he hands the ball off we're still going to hit him now as the days went on uh, all week as as that kind of as as each day passed during the week that statement kind of grew in stature like i said it wasn't on the surface super inflammatory but then Jim Harbaugh checked in on it and said usually a man will tell you his bad intentions before he does it and it was like ooh now we are kind of getting into Old western stuff, Clint Eastwood, you know. uh, eh, Now, uh, Harbaugh's accusing Matthews of bad intentions. Well, guys, flash forward to the game, and I'm sure many of the listeners have seen it by now, but. Colin Kaepernick scrambled near the end zone. He ran out of bounds and he was a couple of paces out of bounds. And here came Clay Matthews vaulting his body parallel to the ground like Superman and clotheslining, taking his forearm out and clotheslining Colin Kaepernick to the ground. Uh, a brawl ensued. Now in American football with the helmets and the pads, you can't ever get a punch in, so it's a lot of shoving and all this. So huge to do. Clay Matthews kind of delivered on his promise to try to hit Kaepernick. Uh Kaepernick, of course, got the last laugh with the win. Uh, Guys, two things came out of it. One, Kaepernick uh, delivered a, a great line after the game. Again, some are calling it Clint Eastwood like. They asked him about the Matthews hit, and he said, If intimidation is your game plan, you better have a better one. And everybody said, Oh, he's like a cowboy, you know? And then two, Jim Harbaugh, instead of letting it die, instead of talking about Anquan Bolden, the great receiver for the Niners who caught 13 balls, or talking about the Seattle game, he decided to revisit the hit and challenge Clay Matthews' manhood. Because in the fight, Clay Matthews was seen slapping the helmet of a 49er lineman, Joe Staley, a couple times. And Jim Harbaugh needled him about that. He said, This is a young man who works very hard on his tough guy image. Well, he's got some repairing to do as he went with the open hand slap instead of the, the, uh, if you're going to come at me, come with some knuckles. He said, Come with some knuckles. So, Harbaugh, the testosterone, the machismo, the disdain for the opponent, and of course, uh, taking it off his players and putting it on him. Uh, it just continues to be, he continues to be an entertaining guy. 31 teams in the NFL hate him, guys. They hate him for this kind of bravado. But he continues to win and sort of get in other players' faces.
1: Yeah, and that kind of style of player is an interesting one, Brian. I don't know if it's becoming a little bit antiquated maybe in the NFL now. I know a lot of rules have been put in place over the last couple of years to give a bit more protection to the uh, offensive players, uh, much to the chagrin of many former defensive experts who are saying, listen, this is supposed to be a tough guy's game, but with concussions and with everything else that's going on, maybe it has to be toned down a bit, the, the, that element of it.
5: Yeah, there used to be, you know, football. Now, Harbaugh himself referenced a player from the 1950s for the New York Giants named M- Emmett Tunnell. Now, you have to really know your deep NFL history to know, but in the 1950s and 60s, this guy played linebacker for the New York Giants, and his job was if a receiver came across the middle was to do what they call the clothesline. Stick out the arm and bam! Knock the guy down on his neck. Like you, so, so the guy's neck runs into his forearm, and then the play just goes on. Back then, that was legal. That was part of football, and so you had sort of an enforcer out there, like this guy that Harbaugh cited, Emmett Tannell, Ten- uh, and he said that's what Clay Matthews reminded him of. He was showing his football history and his acumen and also showing how much the game has changed. Because, like, uh, you know, baseball, we've talked about this, you used to be able to throw up and in and hit guys in the head with pitches. And nowadays, if you even throw a pitch near a guy, you get ejected and fined and warned. As society and sports have evolved, all this extra safety and measures have come in. You know, the old timers, the tough guys, the spit your nails out on the floor guys think that it's the wussification of America, the softening of America, and we were better, we were a better country when we were tougher guys. There's other people say that was crazy. How could you even let that in the game? And they essentially, guys, have legislated it out of the game. And Damakang Sue is a player that I'm sure many of the listeners know. Great defensive tackle for the Detroit Lions. He's trying to play like those old time guys. He has a reputation by far as the dirtiest player in the NFL, and burnished it in Week One when he dove at the knees of a Minnesota Vikings player far away from the play, considered very dirty play in the NFL the nfl find him one hundred thousand u s dollars easily the heaviest fine in NFL history. Now, this is the kind of thing, like we were saying, the New York Giants guy, Tennell, used to do it to every receiver that came across the middle. Now, Sue dives at a knee and he gets $100,000. Now they're talking about suspending him if anything else happens. So, yeah, it's changed. It's evolved. It's a a less violent and dirty game than it used to be. It can't really have that goon out there anymore. It's
1: still pretty rough, Brian, is the one thing I would say. When you compare it to many sports around the world, I think the the people who want who have a bit of bloodlust are still getting a certain amount of what they're craving. But you mentioned that uh, that D- the D- Detroit Lions player sue that one hundred thousand dollar fine. What I found interesting about that is that I read a, a couple of his teammates were saying, "Yeah, in fairness, Sue has apologized to us. He knows that he's now got a target on his back, and that means his targets on all our backs." He held his hand up in the locker room, all that kind of stuff, which is interesting because. I would imagine how the culture used to be would be every player, every team wanted that hard man player because for various reasons, I guess uh, chief among them that he'd be the enforcer out there in the field. Whereas now the teammates are saying here, listen, mate, you're going to get fined a hundred thousand dollars and we're going to lose matches because it is nonsense.
5: Yeah, it's true, very true. It and it's at we're sort of at a there uh, the game itself is sort of at odds with itself because as you mentioned at the outset there it is at, it, at inherently a violent game. It's a game of collisions and and hard contact. It's not two-hand touch, you know. But at the same time uh, and you you so you want to have that violent element, but at the same time now you're seeing penalties and you're seeing games you'll lose a game because of it. In fact, Clay Matthews, by making that play, by, by penalizing against Kaepernick, a, a complex series of events unfolded, but it ended with the forty nine scoring a touchdown. And if Matthews hadn't done that, then there wouldn't the forty nineers theoretically would have kicked a field goal. So you can now cost your team games. So these teammates in the Lions locker room and all the other locker rooms are saying two things. They're saying one Let's go out there. Let's crush them. Remember, that we've talked guys about the Saints bounty gate and what uh, Greg Williams, the defensive coordinator in New Orleans, with the very violent descriptions of how badly he wanted to hurt the players on the other teams. And of course, it cost the Saints, uh, you know, all that disastrous. Uh, suspensions and firings and all that stuff but at the same time you got to have these guys say but wait man don't lose a game for us don't get a 15 yard penalty don't get fined so it is it, we're at we're at a crossroads a little bit of the inherent bloodlust as you so accurately used and the sort of uh oh but we're legislated into a little bit of a lighter game just last point on that guys by how much this game has gone towards the offense and how much of that violent defense is being taken away 63 touchdown passes were thrown in week one of the NFL. The most touchdown passes of any week in NFL history. So if you're looking for a trend towards the very, very wide open, favor the offense game, you look no further than that stat right there.
1: Brian, I know you're following the All-Ireland Hurling final. Your roots are in Cork, but you've got connections in Clare. So maybe uh, everybody's happy enough for the time being.
5: (laughs) What a match. Don't forget, guys, I was following it on the live blogs. God bless. I couldn't find a TV stream at home, but the live blogs were able to capture the scintillating nature of that match. And you're right. I was torn. But I got a little stick after last week's podcast from some of your listeners. Oh, really? giving me a bit of stick, saying that one guy and memorably said, "You debauch yourself in Tulla yet run home to Mammy in Cork when the going gets tough, which I thought was very funny, very funny and accurate too. He called me out, but the point is is that you 're right. I have uh, great feelings for both counties, and I just i couldn 't believe what I was reading, guys. It was an amazing play by play, and blow by blow, and Claire with the big lead, and then here come the Cork boys rallying all the way back for the great win, and then here comes Claire at the end. My buddy, Brian Kalu out in Tulla he, t- he surprised his four boys and brought them up there to Croker, and he said that, that, that he can't imagine how the players can go again in two weeks because the fans are utterly exhausted. I can only imagine. So I hope in two weeks they'll be able to rev it up again, but i got to ask you guys, do those replays generally, are they anticlimactic or can they be epic? Uh,
4: well, last year was actually the first replay of an All-Ireland Hurling final in 53 years, I think. 53 years, yeah. And uh, it was a major anticlimax uh, because my goalie team got hammered by 10 points. So it was a total disaster. <laughs> but uh, no, they, usually what happens is that uh, all of the grudges that are formed in the first game Come out in force in the second game, so there could probably there might be a little bit more fisticuffs and a bit more bite to the, or a bit more of an edge to the sort of personal duels. But yeah, no, I th- I think to be honest, the hurling season has been so good this year that uh, we've ju- we're just ex- fully expecting another classic. Uh, and I Cork. Okay, yeah, weeks.
5: okay, well, good. And I saw Cork has a guy carrying my very name on the roster. So once again, mm. I gotta just tilt fifty one forty nine to the red. Okay. Yeah.
1: Ryan, lovely. We'll come back to that in a couple of weeks. Thanks
6: so much.
5: (laughs) All the best, guys. That's the question. That's going to be
6: answered tonight. Tonight. So now, come here tonight. Tonight. Into Wexford Park, and they just must produce the goods tonight. Tonight. Their team is better set up tonight. Tonight. But they just, the bottom line is, Michael, they have to do tonight. Tonight.
2: Second Captains Football. Available on irishtimes.com Second Captains and iTunes from 6pm tonight. Tonight, tonight, tonight,
6: tonight, tonight, tonight. Woo!
1: Just on that point, Murph, of the Seattle fans mm. attempting to break the noise records this weekend and putting it up to their opponents. The, apparently, it's a Galatasaray stadium in Istanbul that currently holds this record yep. in 2011. very different type of method to create the noise, though. I would have thought with, in Galatasaray or in Istanbul, there's more of a constant rhythmic chanting that goes on, really. There's more traditional yep. football. What we, uh, an an what exaggerated we, what version we of soccer. Is, is, yeah, yeah. Whereas in, <laughs> in American football, it's very concentrated moments of the game. It's when the other team is in possession, particularly when it's down to a third down, second and especially third down, and they try and make as much noise as possible to... Uh, Wreck the concentration, essentially, yeah. of the team with the with, with possession at the time. But it's crazy. I've been at a couple of NFL games, and when you're there, it was actually at Chicago when they were playing the Green Bay Packers. And those situations are bizarre because the method of creating noise is literally just to shout. Yeah, it's just that there's no chanting, there's no there's nothing rhythmic about it. It's just a lot of boozed up Americans shouting really loudly, which yeah, but isn't to everybody's taste, I would
4: imagine. But I found it kind of enjoyable. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's they're helping the team, you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and I think that. You know, they deserve credit rather than, you know, I mean, what is the motivation for football fans or indeed J fans to make noise? I mean, you know, they're just, they're, they're they're trying to support their team in a sort of abstract kind of way. It is you true. Know, you
1: are actually, tr- the, uh, particularly in, in the NFL in those, in those situations, you genuinely, those fans feel that they are.
4: They're helping out they're helping the team. Of, uh, oftentimes a quarterback is trying to change the, uh, change the play in the final few seconds. And if his teammates can't hear him then that's an actual problem that's actually help uh, stopping them from winning the game. So I mean instead of ragging on the American fans alone as you were pouring <laughs> scoring on them. Um, slight misinterpretation. Maybe you should maybe you should just apologize to the American nation and say well done to those NFL fans. It's a
2: kind of a free market solution really isn't it to the stadium support question. Maybe they think that organized chanting where everybody's kind of singing the same thing is socialist so,
4: yeah it 's it 's quite socialist isn 't it really you know yeah. um, all of these these little people you know just kind of gathering together and making their voice heard, i mean, I can see why there would be a problem there. although
2: the motto of the United States is um a pluribus unum isn 't it from many one that 's the whole concept of the united states, um, yeah, something which doesn 't appear to apply in a lot of uh, a lot of the other fields in which they they seek an American way. I mean, for many, one would seem to be what the uh, fans are doing in the Turk Telecom Stadium. You know, there's one voice or maybe one voice for each stand and they actually have a kind of a conversation. Exactly. And, uh, to you know, I think that kind of thing sounds hugely impressive. But, you know, if everyone just wants to shout out their own thing and, and in a sort of disorganized rabble, then, you know, by all means. Time now for a bit of this.
5: That's right, you're it's a real so Irishman. you get the potato yeah. I left in your dressing room there? I
2: got the potatoes yeah. and the puccine. Huh? And the puccine. Oh, yeah, there you <laughs> are. Own and bread, yeah, in uh, County Meath, a little place called Navan.
4: Yes, it's Pierce Brosnan, Emigrant shout time again, Owen. And I, it's been a great week, I think, uh, for our P-Bezzo friends worldwide. Your support of our podcast was reciprocated when RTÉ managed to resolve some player issues and got our TV show up online last night. So I'm feeling the global love... In a really erotic and sensual way today, Owen Uh, And quite apart from the television show There have been multiple photographs and emails sent in over the last few days So we begin with Niall Mullen, A man who perhaps more skilfully than any other email since this whole thing began Knows how to play the game, but also respects the game Uh, Hi lads, I thought I'd use a photo with my two cutest pie children In a shameless attempt for a pee bezel I know most parents think their children are the most beautiful in the world But that is actually coincidentally true of my two children So here we are at the Angel of the North, about a mile from where we live, in gorgeous (coughs) Gateshead. Uh, Cute and old as they are, they generally look bemused when I begin to extol the virtues of my childhood heroes. Vinnie Murphy and Eamon Heary it's almost like they mean nothing to one year old, one year old Orla or three year old Rory <laughs> anyway as an emigre of over three years I reckon I deserve a P-Bezo and was hoping the great man could also send one to my brother Sean in Melbourne Sean was with us in Gateshead when the photograph was taken but refused to get into the photo as he had not yet relocated down under I reckon Pierce will be so impressed with such slavish yeah, yeah, adherence to the p rules as to send out a double P-Bezo one to North East England and one to South East Australia uh, Gamal Null, we're more than happy to accommodate your request yep treating the P. Bezzo honour with the respect it deserves there exactly on and I, we do appreciate that more respect for the rules and regulations from Alan Purcell now eager for a P. Bezo shout out but disappointed to discover that I'm languishing close to the bottom of a long list of fellow emigrants, photographed proudly holding a hashtag P. Bezzo sign with the Opera House or Sydney Harbour Bridge in the background I concluded my only hope of receiving a mention on your show was to visit an Australian landmark equal in stature to the greatness of the second captains so here I am at the famous monolith Uluru, Ayers rock to you and I, <laughs> having spent minutes explaining the lengthy uh, meaning of my sign to numerous other pilgrims and therefore spreading the hashtag P-Bezo message to so many other cultures despite the language barriers, I'd really appreciate a shout-out. Yours in Aboriginal culture, Alan Persil. So well done to you, Alan. Uh, Cheese Ryan and Derek Jordan uh, fashioned a P-Bezo sign from bamboo canes outside the Sea Love Bungalows in Koh Phangan in uh, Thailand. Uh, so, that sounds cosy. Thank you. Uh, Joe Crean was in Frankfurt in Germany. Thomas Kearns and Mick Creeby in Canada. The Arctic Monkey in Australia. And dozens and dozens of others uh, were all watching uh, on the RT player and have been listening to the podcast over the last right. few weeks. So, thanks a million, folks. And keep those P-Bezzo signs coming. Nicely done all
1: around there. I, mean, if I know this is going to sound patronising, mm. so maybe I shouldn't say it. But, and I do obviously want Dublin to win the All-Ireland, okay. but we're Dublin not to win. There's no county I'd rather beat us well, really, than Mayo. Well, I nearly, me. I'm nearly, I'm nearly supporting Mayo in this all. I, don't <laughs> I just, do the oh. years I've heard have to end at some stage. I love, I, I love my.
4: Well, you've got Mayo roots. I mean, it's not like cousins, the, you yeah. haven't, you know, like pulled this out of the clear blue sky. I mean, you do have. Yeah, you know, there's there there is a connection there. Um, they need to win this, Murph. They yeah. need it,
1: they need it more than Dublin.
4: They do, they do, but they need Mayo football supporters need. Mayo win all Ireland more than a lot of people need a lot or of. Do things. they? Yeah. You
1: see, I mean, the Boston Red Sox had this for a long time where they hadn't won for whatever eighty years or so. Yeah. Eventually they win. They win another one. They, the character of the fan starts changing a little bit. Then you yeah. become slightly different. You interact with your sports team in a different fashion because you're not gallant losers anymore, or in some cases for the Red Sox just losers. Yeah. You've actually started winning. Maybe Mayo people don't want to start winning there as a, as a. County, their character may change. They may start becoming a little bit cocky if they start winning a lot mm. of All-Irelands.
4: Yeah, yeah, they might do that. <laughs> don't say that, I don't. <laughs> No, I, I think that I think that you're absolutely right, though. Like, there's an element of them nearly embracing this whole. Oh, you know, well, we're it, so patronizing. No, we'll but move it, on it's, on it's what makes them here. totally different. We're te-
1: I'm, te- i te- something up here. If we've got okay. a couple of guests waiting on the line, there's a documentary coming out. Mayo, God help us. This Sunday evening at eight pm on TG Card. The director is James Finland. Anthony Finnerty, who has tried hard to win that All Ireland, that he of All Ireland for his counties also on the line. James, can I start with you though? What attracted you to this project?
6: Um, how are you? Yeah, well, what attracted to me me to it is my dad's a Mayo man. I'm a Galway man myself, but uh, my dad was at the 1951 final. He was at the 50 and the 51 final, which is of course the last time they won it and he was writing about it for the Western people, he's a journalist, and um you know, I'd, I'd heard stories, he told me about Ben the final, and then I'd seen Mayo since 89 in the various attempts to, you know, to win Sam McGuire, and I think it never, um it was the last final 2012 when it really hit me what a big story it is, and I also heard um the talk of the so-called curse, you know. And I thought, well, that that makes an interesting story. Not that I believe in the curse of such, but it made an interesting angle for a story on male football. And um, Well, let's get
1: into the curse yeah. straight away then, James. What is all this nonsense about?
6: Well, the story goes that in 1951, the team were making their way back to Ballina. I think they were coming through Foxford. And I mean, there's a few variations on it, but the main story goes that they disrupted a funeral and didn't pay due respect and a priest put a curse on them and said they'll never win in All-Ireland until all the players from that team are dead. That's the story that's out there.
1: And that's something that um, gained a lot of currency, whether people believe in this kind of thing or not. It is it is something that's in the psyche of Mayo people, you think?
6: Well, you see, the thing is, I heard about it again there last year when they played Donegal. Uh, you know, m- my dad mentioned the story or whatever. And then I started to think, yeah, God, I've been hearing that story all my life. And then, but as I researched it, I realized, I mean, because you can talk to Anthony about this, so he doesn't even remember hearing about it during his playing career. I think it's only since maybe, uh, you know, 2004, 2006 that it started coming up. So, but it seems to be anyone I've told that I'm doing a a story about Mayo football, they all say, is it about the curse? So it seems that this year it's really taken hold but it's actually a new story. It's not a story that goes back to 51 at all. Is
1: that right, Anthony? That, uh, uh, sorry, I know your own playing days don't go back to 51, <laughs> but when you when you were playing, was it something you encountered at all, this curse?
3: Well, I, I hadn't heard of it at all. I did, well, I, maybe I had, but I, I don't remember hearing of it. But uh, I think maybe it was the case that Claire had biddy early and we sort of dreamed up this curse sort of somewhere along the line. Someone came up with a good so- story and... It it sounded me it might sound like uh, reasonable to sort of suggest that there is a curse on us after so many attempts and failures, but uh, I I think it's it's it's, it's just a, a tall tale that someone made up somewhere along the line.
4: I mean, if, I think to be fair, Anthony, if you mentioned this to James Horan or to Aidan O'Shea or to any of the players uh, that are uh, out for Mayo next week, if you mentioned a curse to them, that they'd probably laugh you out of the room, really, wouldn't they?
3: Well, exactly. And I, I, I'd nearly have said, you know, Biddy, I'd have been more afraid of Biddy Early having a curse on me than some priest down in, in Foxford in 51, do you know what I mean? And yeah. it didn't bother, seemed to bother Gerlach Nan or Anthony Daly and the lads in uh, back in, you know, 95 or whatever, you know. So yeah, I, 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 I think uh, I think the curse will be well and truly uh, ended uh, in a, in about Sunday week, hopefully.
4: Yeah, well, uh, fingers crossed for everyone down there, I suppose. But I mean, do you think that it, it's interesting maybe that people come up with this? idea that, you know, that Mayo have to have been cursed to not have won in All-Ireland in however many years it is. When, in actuality, can you ever say really that since 1951 that Mayo have been unequivocally, without argument, the best team in the country in any of those years? Maybe this year is the first.
3: Yeah, this year is the first. I think any of the other years you'd get sort of logical explanations as to why we lost the All-Irelands. And uh, that's the way I'd be looking at it. I don't think there was any year, possibly 97 uh, mm. whereas we had come so close and we got to the final and had beaten Kerry fairly comprehensively in the semi-final the year previous but I I do think that that replays take a lot out of teams, you know, I know that, that there's two Hurling teams facing into a replay now but I know I was involved in 96 and uh, it's it's tough going to have to come back two two or three weeks later and play another All Ireland and you saw how flat the Galway hurlers were this year you know and I I do think that ninety seven possibly we could have been the, possibly be the best team but I just think that the the fact of playing two All Irelands the year before probably cost us that year you know
1: James do you think that this is or is this something maybe that you found interesting in doing the documentary that supporters maybe need curses and they need supernatural reasons or reasons outside the the normal human realm why their team haven't won because it's hard to accept that particularly with a county like Mayo who are a really strong footballing county it's hard to accept that while they've been so close to being the best so often they've never quite got there so you need maybe a a, a further explanation rather than they just weren't good enough on those
6: occasions Well I think personally it's just a very Irish thing you know we love our folklore and there was a so called curse on the Boston Red Sox as well And, of course, Boston is a very Irish place. So I think it's just, yeah, it's looking for, you know, a reason. And we find that reason in folklore because that's just in our culture. And we just, we like a good story. That's, that, that, that'll be what I
1: think. Andy Moore and Anthony says that if Mayo win, what, in fact, he said after losing to Donegal that he still feels that Mayo can go on and win, not just in All Ireland, but All Ireland's, which, what I always like hearing Andy Moore and speak is he's a very positive, it certainly seems to be a very positive kind of a, a person when chatting about his county. It, it, would you get that sense that without counting chickens here, that if Mayo can get the monkey off the back, though there should be a liberating effect there and maybe more will follow, maybe not in the next two years, but certainly over the next 10 years?
3: certainly yeah i think this team is probably the best equipped team we ever had you know to actually go on and win the all-ireland and if they do win one there's no reason given the age profile of the team i think they're going to be around for a few years and you know in fairness they had they had an easy they've had an easy enough passage to the to the two finals they've got to now they you know they had a quite four games last year or whatever and something similar this year uh no major panic you know so uh, if they stay fit and healthy and if they can pull one off, there's no reason why why they can't be knocking on the door for the next few years given that we seem to have a good minor team and, you know, there's there's always going to be a few lads coming through as well, so I think things are looking fairly good for me at the moment.
1: All right, so the evening, 8 o'clock, TG Car, Anthony Finnerty and Director James Finnan. Thanks very much.
3: Thanks a so lot. Okay, lads. Yeah, I'm just trying to get my head
1: around this whole curse yeah. story again. For strange behavior, I would have thought, from a Catholic priest. Are curses like that not more associated with isn't sort of a pagan ritual?
2: Oh, and this is Mayo we're talking about. This is an Irish Catholic priest. It's a different they type do. of Catholicism. Oh, okay. The whole thing is just bolted onto paganism. Every single aspect of it is just take Croke Patrick. Why does Ender Kenny climb Croke Patrick every year? There's nothing in the Bible about Croke Patrick, I don't know, I'll tell you that much. There is, however, an, uh, you know, an Iron Age fort on the top, and it's the same place where pagans worshipped thousands of years ago. That Enda Kenny and various other observant Catholic Giovanni Trapetonis, I was
1: going to say, yeah.
2: um, make their uh, make their way up there, uh, and people have been doing it for thousands of years. The names just changed on, but the principle is basically the same. I mean, all over the west of Ireland, you see that. You, you ever gone to uh, Ilon Victoria? Which is just uh, off Connemara, McDi- Saint MacDara's Island. Have I been there? Is that what you are asking? Mm. No. You see an interesting thing there. Um, it's you know I my, I went to a school actually called after this man a saint. who I think actually had a had a career as a god before being before be, <laughs> before becoming a saint uh, when sort of gods became uh, you know the sort of yeah. one god rule came in. A sideways career move. Uh, you will find though a uh, a cross uh, a cross there which has got a snake. Crawling around on it, a snake, Owen. Mm. It's a bit of an unusual twist on the <laughs> Christian myth. There, the snake usually uh, considered to be uh, one of the less Christian, less favorite animals in the in the Christian setup, uh, and yet there he is, entwined with the cross on uh, Saint MacDara's Island. It's a mystery, Owen. Uh, but uh, that's the West of Ireland for you.
1: Set football coming up later on today. <laughs>
2: well, I'd just like to thank Ken for yeah.
4: painting us all in such a delightful light there, all of us from west of the Shannon.
2: This is, you know, it's, look, uh, a friend of mine was telling me the other day that apparently when they built lighthouses along the coast there, they had to pay off all the locals. Because one of the main sources of income was stealing the stuff from the shipwrecks.
4: <laughs> Come on, Ken. That what? couldn't have been, that, that, that's at least 25 to 30 years ago that that happened. Oh uh, no
2: we're talking about uh, you know more than 200 years ago. I, I mean, when they so. finally said you know we're getting a lot of shipwrecks here, very rocky, unpredictable coastline um, and the local people were up in arms. What do you mean? <laughs> you know ships are getting wrecked there all the time. we go out there steal the stuff and, uh, and it's actually been one of the cornerstones of our of our survival.
4: It's a little cottage industry. you could argue here.
2: Ken at the introduction of the lighthouses
1: on the west coast of Ireland. Has led ultimately to the poor economic situation we find ourselves in today.
2: Yeah, it well, it it certainly didn't help a couple of hundred years ago, and I suppose um, if the if rot it,
4: set in then, Ken. if the
2: graph of was just flattened out a little bit then, two hundred years later, you're looking at a, you know, a big gap between where it is and where it could have been.
4: Second Captain's
1: live, by the way, our second program, second TV program on RT Two, is next Wednesday, and then the following couple of Wednesdays as well. We started on a Tuesday to. Uh, come in after the after the football there after the uh, your World Cup qualifier I should say if you want to go along next Wednesday just get on the Twitter that's our hashtag is sorry I should say our Twitter handle is that second captains also facebook.com forward slash second captains Murph there's some, yeah, the there's some info there on how yeah. to how to come along and also as Kieran mentioned during his P-Bezo there the RTE player for both domestic and international viewers is, uh, is showing Second Captain's live also? So have a look at that wherever you are in the world. In the meantime, we'll talk to you during Second Captain's football. Thanks, garon
4: Thank you, Owen. Thanks, again. Thank you, Thanks, guys.
2: Thanks, everyone thanks, thanks, again. Thanks for listening. Go. It's is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Oh. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those
6: those